Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Did you watch that Dominic Cummings uh, interview with Laura Koonsberg? You presumably did. did you? I saw bits of it, but it, it drove me, it just drove me mad. No, well, I, 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 I couldn't bear very much of it. But go on, did you see, uh, did you see the whole thing? I, I, I don't know, one thing struck me, <clears throat> really interesting. I thought, rock critic. He's a rock critic. That's what he is. He's a slighted rock critic. You know what I mean? He's like a guy who used to work for the NME or whatever, and then went to work for a record company. Yeah. During which he was very high-handed about the people he worked with back on the music papers. And now he's found himself thrown out the record company. So he's stranded in between. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so he's He's burnt his, his bridges completely with the commentariat, and he's not going back into government anytime soon. So he's completely stuck in the middle with only his vast brain to comfort him. You know what I mean? I can tell you everything that went on. Everybody goes, yeah, okay. Drug. You know what I mean? Why did you say so at the time? <laughs> I, just, I just thought to myself, rock critic. Stranded rock critic, a rock critic on an island forevermore. That's <laughs> that's what he is, you know. He has the look of a rock critic too. Actually. He has the look of a rock critic because here's the thing. Here's the thing, about, here's the thing about politics. Here's rule one about politics: stay in politics. That's the, you know, that's that's the mark of success. Staying in politics. He's been chucked out of politics, and now where's he got to go? You know what I mean? Completely stuck. Anyway, that's my theory. That's all. Good theory. I like it. Moving on. I you, like wa- it. you watched the Bob Dylan spectacular. I did spectacular. That's very. <laughs> I suppose it was actually. I did. Yeah, it was last Sunday night, um, uh, July eighteenth, uh, ten ten o'clock our time. A bill as an exclusive broadcast event, wasn't it, for, for the Veep's live streaming service? Twenty five dollars we pay for our ticket, Dave. But I, it oh. had that real sense of event, which I always think is quite funny. You've got hundreds of messages in the chat box saying, time for our boot heels to be wandering here in Singapore. We're knocking on heaven's door in Brazil. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's uh-huh. building. 
And it was billed as the, the early songs of Bob Dylan, which I still think of of the 60s and 70s, really. So when you get songs like uh, What Was It You Wanted from Oh Mercy. <laughs> That's early. Is that an early song? But then you think about it's 35 it's middle, years it's middle period. Isn't well, it? it's yeah. in the first half of his career. Oh, okay. 60-year right. career. So it God, is really, you right. know. God. And you got captions telling you what songs they were playing, which made it so much more relaxing that you didn't have to guess. The band knew, Dylan himself knew, you know. Um, and, and lovely old songs. You got, uh, you know, When I Paint My Masterpiece, mo most likely You Go Your Way, Queen Jane, etc. Kind of interesting, really strong kind of album tracks. But it was billed also as his first concert performance since December 2019. So, of course, for a lot of people, that suggests it was going to be a live show which, let's be honest, is quite a naive expectation. And actually, it was a very artfully lit stage set, you know, all filmed in black and white. It was a 1940s juke joint uh -huh. full of fabulously beautiful people from central casting, black, white, American, you know, Mexican, rather, uh, in 40s dresses and Homburg hacks, all, all, all dancing and smoking, stagely and drinking. So it had that lovely feel of those lovely old 50s jazz pictures, then wreathed in smoke, you know. And, um, you know, it's basically a film shoot. Three changes of clothes, four musicians all wearing COVID masks, accordion, an acoustic guitar, an electric guitar, and a string bass. But all wearing masks. Yeah, they were wearing masks. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. I know, which kind of added to the mystery as to who they were. <laughs> you know. But uh, very soon you start to think, is this actually, okay, it's a, it's, a, it's a film of a performance, but is it actually even a performance? Is it actually, is it actually mine? Because it was the microphone was positioned over his mouth so that you couldn't really see his mouth. You know, the lighting was such that you couldn't really get the details. And then you notice that some of the guitars were out of sync. You know, they, they, they weren't actually playing the notes at the time you heard the notes. There was a lead guitar playing throughout the, pretty much the, in every single song, which didn't appear on screen. Did appear at one point, from, or two points later on, filmed at the front. So clearly it was mining. And it... It just didn't matter. It simply didn't matter. I don't think what he'd done was recorded an absolutely beautiful, exquisite 13 track version of a load of songs he really liked, where he sings the tune a lot of the time. Amazing. By mistake. And I know, by mistake. So he'd done all that. And well, and it was just a brilliant ruse, really, to sell, to get, to, to get the maximum amount of bucks out of a song catalogue that he no longer actually owns. By, by putting out this promotional video, which is what it really was, a 50-minute video, um, and having all the people who were going to buy the upcoming, I'm sure, DVD or album, uh, having them pay $25 each to get an exclusive preview of it, which we were very happy to do. It That's the interesting fun. thing. Yeah, genius. Genius. This, is, this, is, this is the future of albums, isn't it? You yeah. know, that, that before they come out, you will pay $25 to watch and listen to those albums once exclusively exactly yeah, and three, I think, three I think months that before really really worked yeah, yeah. it's not <laughs> very different from the dvd market the dvd comes up but it gets a cinematic release we can go yeah. out and pay cash to see it first you know but i thought it was fantastic i mean and also i wasn't miserable about paying 25 dollars for 50 minutes i didn't want any more no i didn't want anymore. i had quite enough he played all the songs i really wanted to hear i didn't want him to go back to his old kind of dirge like deliveries and that we've been used to live recently and kind of ruin it all. You know, I was really happy. I thought it was a spectacular thing. It was terrific. Good. It seemed to have gone down really well. Good. Uh, yeah, it, it certainly has done, hasn't it? Do you follow the Thunder Road lyric crisis? Well, I got the gist of it. I, I, It's to do with a lyric 
that was printed wrongly. Was you know, it? It's not. I, I don't think it's even printed wrongly. Um, but uh, it's it's basically Thunder Road. Okay, it was the opening song of uh, Born to Run. Is it the opening song? I don't know. Anyway, um, and uh, which starts with the screen door slams. Mary's dress sways or waves like a vision. She dances across the porch as the radio plays. Roy Orbison singing for the lonely. Hey, it's you and I want you only. Blah 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 blah, and so forth. And so, and they they started as 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 the tiniest storm in the tiniest teacup. On, on the internet about was was the appropriate word did mary's dress sway or did it wave because you know bruce springsteen recorded this 1975 you know at a time when he was particularly keen on mixing and remixing and remixing so burying stuff in in the mix to make it sound more specter-esque than, than than the previous version and so people weren't weren't sure and uh and still, they were arguing about it. And so uh, David Remnick of the New Yorker had to get on to John Landau, Springsteen's manager, who said, no, let me let me be clear about this. It sways. It sways. Okay. It was sways in the original notebook. Sways is what he sings. Whether sways is what you hear or not is a different question. But I thought it was interesting in the sense that it, I think it <laughs> once more points out that rock and roll lyrics are not poetry, you know. <laughs> The reason, the reason that is sways is because he's decided he's got to get to the bit of the song which goes and the radio plays. Yeah. That's the he's rhyme. Looking for a rhyme. He's looking for a rhyme. Because you know, he's obviously started that song with the radio plays, Roy Orbison singing for the lonely, you know, which is a beautiful, beautiful shift in the narrative there. It's absolutely perfect. You know, and he's got a musical idea that it's going to start out quite tentatively and then it's it's going to go boom and it's going to sound like a kind of AM radio hit record, which it does, no doubt yeah. about it. But he's 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 got to get to the radio plays Roy Orbison singing for the lonely. Therefore, how he gets there, he he'll he'll twist all kinds of things in order to get there. Yeah. That's what song lyric writing is all about, isn't it? Not like poetry. You don't find that in the work of Philip Larkin, I don't think. Or, no, or not do you? Not I don't think you do. Purpose. Um, that, that was all exposed. But was it a guy called Rob Tannenbaum? Was it in the LA Times who who'd seen the handwritten lyrics of Thunder Road for sale and noted that it was Sways? Oh, right. Sways was, I think he he'd go, but but it was so funny. The Variety piece was brilliant. He said it it, it, it turned into a, a two week national debate that uh, that at one point threatened to turn into a civil war. <laughs> I love, I love <laughs> things like that about just song lyric, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we should have. I, I I crossed myself actually. We should have uh, talked uh, talked about this the other day when we did our, our wedding attic with the soda jerkers, who were the guys who yeah. who do podcasts where they interview songwriters of all kinds and um, i'm really intrigued by that whole question of you know of, of of do you do you start with a rhyme in the middle and then you have to go back and make it back rhyme if you if you like you know so you so you don't start the song in the at the beginning you start the song in the middle that's your idea yeah. now you're going to get from the middle to your idea and i mean now you've got to get it from the beginning to your idea in the middle 
Uh, anyway, well, can you imagine how how Leonard Cohen wrote Alleluia? I always think that's fascinating because Alleluia is entirely hinged around rhymes with Alleluia, isn't it? So he must have just sat down and worked out every possible permutation of a rhyme for Alleluia and seeing if you could then lead to that in a lyric. But also, well, he says, you know, he said, didn't he? It took him six months or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So he it, actually, it's not a song at all. It's a poem. That's a poem. That, yeah. that really is a poem. Yeah. Whereas Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen, those aren't poems. Those are songs. Yeah, yeah. Which have poetic qualities to them. Different thing. We shall return to this argument at regular intervals in the future. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. You know, I've got this theory that you're never supposed to be separated from records that you might ultimately love. I think I think this happens, actually. Yeah, there's destiny. There's a bit of destiny involved. There's a lot of destiny in, involved. And I had a classic case of this this week. I... Um, I, I subscribe to Spotify, and Spotify do a very good thing, uh, which they, they, they provide a playlist every Monday morning called Discover Weekly, and it's based on other stuff you listen to, you know, and so they, they'll very often just nominate things that are a bit like what you've listened to, but you probably haven't heard them before. So that's, if you like that, you'll like this. That kind of yeah, thing. it's, it's yeah. a lot more subtle than that, and it works really well. Yeah. And they no doubt respond to how you use it and all kinds of spooky things like that. But it's very good. Anyway, in the middle of this playlist the other day, and I, and I play a lot of instrumental music when I'm working, uh, there's this Philip Glass tune popped up. And I like Philip Glass. I, I listen to quite a bit of Philip Glass. And I looked at this, and what's this? And it's, it's from the soundtrack of, um, of, a, of a film, Paul Schrader film called Mishima. Uh, it came out in the mid-'80s. And I thought, oh, God, I'll listen to more of this. So you then click again, and you listen to the whole album. I listen to the whole album, I listen to it once. I thought, this is really good. I listened to it twice. I thought, oh, boy, this is really good. I thought, oh, I must get that record. I must get it on CD or something like this. Anyway, I went away. I was doing different things. And then after a while, it occurred to me, do you know, I think I might have that record. <laughs> and so I went, I went, I went digging in the far a distant corner of my records down here and I went through at a terrible angle the crick in my neck you know going through these these old albums where all the soundtracks are and then imagine my delight when up it oh, popped there cool. it is yeah isn't that fantastic fantastic I was it was that, meant to be it was meant to be been waiting all this time you 35 years 30, 36 years I've had this record and I've never played it at all in 36 years. But uh, that's but lovely. It's isn't that yeah, great? So I've also I've continu continued my um, my rediscovering of, uh, of of CDs that I haven't played for ages, and so I'm now calling this section of the podcast because I'm saying this is regular, Mark. It's called Reloved CDs, okay? And these That's are good. CDs that I haven't played for years, and so I played them recently. And I've I've come upon a two CD, um, you know, sequence, which I think is a unique case in the entire storied history of rock and roll. And I'm going to see if you can guess what it is. It's a record, two records that were intended to be a double. And actually came out as two separate records 
because the band couldn't afford to put them out as a double. So they came out at the same time, roughly? They came around about the same time. And it's one of the few cases, it's the only case, where you listen to these two records together and you think, my God, if they'd put that out as a double album, that would be the greatest double album anybody oh, ever put Lord, out. Go on. And I'm including the White Album or, you know, whatever your, your other candidates are. And these are, I hold in, in one hand, XTC's Apple Venus, and on the other hand, XTC's Wasp Star, which can, this came out in 1999. Wasp Star came out in 2000. And um, do you know these, I don't know what style that well. Oh, they're both fantastic. They're both of them really, really good yeah. records. You know, they they both of them got whatever it is, 12 songs. Yeah, it's 24 songs between the two of them. And you don't listen at any stage and think, oh, it's flagging a bit here now. You know what I mean? There's a song here that they haven't quite completed or... They've just put it on there to but please the, the drummer thing. or whatever. You yeah, know. that was all done in the same session. Well, no, I think they did. No, they did it in two sessions, but their initial idea, they'd left Virgin and they were signed to Cooking Vinyl, I think, so they probably had one deal in the UK and one in the US and whatever. So there wasn't anybody signing a big check saying, okay, you can go off and, you know, and make a double album. And I think they wanted, a lot of it was they, they had strings and so they were doing an Abbey Road, so it was quite expensive to do. And... um this is why I'm going from Wikipedia. It says they they wanted to do it as a double, but then couldn't because of budgetary, um, you know, um, restrictions. So they did it as two singles, and uh, you know. So, but the point is that they're both a product of the same kind of writing yeah, period. So. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they're just absolutely astonishing. And so that's that's I'm, I'm well, nominating you, you that. Know, Quiz the other day, and uh, and the answer was XTC. One of the points, one of the clues was uh, which band is always cited as being the, the the kind of foundation and the and the influence for lots of the new British bands. Like yeah, yeah, absolutely. Franz Ferdinand, people like that, and it's always XTC. And I, I always think it's criminal how, to me anyway, underrated they are. And it may be that they, if they'd kept touring, which they didn't do, because obviously Andy had his. Problems with uh, yeah. with stage front. They kept touring and just kept that momentum up. That they might just be better known because they are phenomenal. But here's the other thing: these are really, really good records. These were the thirteenth and the fourteenth records they put out. Now there aren't many groups who are still doing really good well, things. True, the thirteenth and fourteenth records. It doesn't happen very often at all. You know, it suggested that they had uh, you know. Quite remarkable powers. So, and actually, later what else on, to? well, then this was put out. This was put out as Apple Box, wasn't it? Which yeah, is the, two, the two CDs. Yeah. Two. Well, that's the two together. So you have got those. So the other one, the other one I've been listening to, our favorite, yours and mine, Frank Zappa's oh, Hot. Yeah, Frank Zappa's Hot Rats. And and my new way of listening to Hot Rats is program it so that you take out the long jams. So you take out Willie the Pimp and you take out the gumbo variations, which are two long tracks on either side. And so what you've got is the great Peaches on Regalia, uh, Son of Miss Green Jeans, Little Umbrellas, and It Must Be a Camel. Which are mostly off sheet music, aren't they? They're not, they're not really full of improvisations. They're kind of, it's all, you know, conducted, isn't it? 
which is what's great about it. Yeah, it is. And you think to yourself, this is the theme music for the greatest TV crime series that nobody ever made. It it just sounds brilliant for, you know, if you can imagine some kind of true detective, high-end, you know, um, whodunit series, yes. which is what it sounds like. It's absolutely wonderful. It's got all that tension in it, isn't it? Oh, right. yeah, brilliant. drama, drama. So, so, you know, the point is, you you don't need new records. You have loads of old ones. You haven't listened to it in ages. What is it all one I've... I oh my it. goodness! It's, yeah, it's a, a Julie Driscoll and Brian Order Auger um, compilation. It's fantastic. Oh, it's a compilation. Okay. Yeah, it's so good. Or is it just the album Jewels? Maybe it's just Jewels. I think it's the album Jewels. It's it looks like the cover of the album Jewels with the Z yeah, on the end. It is. it is. It's so good. And I've forgotten. There's something. I mean, you know, mostly they just traded in that kind of, um, kind of slightly cosmic late sixties jazz, didn't they? But this Wheels on Fire is so phenomenal. It is. And I think it's one of those rare examples of a, of a track. I mean, actually, I suppose there wasn't really an original version of this Wheels on Fire. There is the, the kind of um, bootleg series uh, uh, version, isn't there, with the, the Dylan and Rick Danko and everybody. And there's, uh, um, you know, and there's the Birds did a great version. But, I mean, it's just phenomenal. How many how many cover versions were better than the original? I mean, not many. Across uh, the first by, uh, by Fiona Apple, you and I have talked about many times. Yeah, it's the, yeah, the one Beatles thing. Yeah, yeah. But, I yeah. mean... Julie Driscoll, what a what an absolute star. It's extraordinary, I think. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. For a very brief period of time, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. A really, really brief period of time. Yeah. I don't think they had the best management or record company, actually. And uh, and they never made it in America. And so next thing you knew, she was off as a solo. And Brian Auger was off to form, what was the name of a group? The group he formed? Never, what? never a more uh, appropriately named group than Brian Auger's next group out of the Trinity. Brian Auger's Oblivion. No, yes, it was. Hey, you know. <laughs> I know. Farewell. <laughs> <laughs> so it's um, 
it's was it 10 years since Amy Winehouse died? Oh, this God, yes, it was. Yes, yeah, she died on the 23rd of July, didn't she? <clears throat> I was thinking about it the other day because I, I went to see her in Hammersmith Odeon 2007. I was thinking how absolutely phenomenally good she was. I mean, you forget that. Yeah. You know, she was, uh, with everything else that's been written about it, she was, I mean, she was a jazz singer, so it's a totally different landscape, you know. Those beautiful, clambering uh, improvisations, those beautiful phrases, the freewheeling nature of the songs, the stinging little guitar chords she used to play. It's the way she'd sing either side of the beat. She swung. You know, you don't get a lot of that in rock music. She actually yeah. swung. Yeah. And uh, and those, oh, those lyrics, like a kind of open wound, you know. But I remember that the reviews of that show, the Times, I think it was, just said it was like staring at a motorway pileup. She came on stage at 10.15. Can you imagine that? How much with Odeon? 10.15 oh, yeah. on stage. Rickety and distracted. And well, I would have missed that. Off in the middle of a song. I would have been on, on the Piccadilly line by that You time. would. You would. She had the kind of tottering, she had those big high heels, yeah. a tottering gait of a kind of a, a spindly little fall about to fall over, you know, unaware of the booing. And this was four years before the Asif uh, Carpadia dock in 2011, when she played her last gig in Belgrade. You know, that terrible story where she's taken out the house and put in a cab and take the airport, flown to Belgrade, kind of unconscious, like I say, put on stage to sing. It's just terrible. But I can remember my view of her was very changed by a piece that Sylvia Patterson wrote in Word in 2007. She made the point she's not a girl uh, trying to be a girl in a man's world. She was a girl trying to be a man in a man's world. So that was very interesting, actually. Right. That was her whole thing. She drank pints. She, she, she was shooting pool. She had a hello sailor tattoo. She had a tattoo of topless women. Sylvia described her as an erratic combination of Mae West, Liam Gallagher, Bez, Tracy Emin, and Popeye the Sailor Man. <laughs> and I, <laughs> really good. <clears throat> and I thought that, um, I think a lot of people thought she was a kind of a, Another Janis Joplin, really, you know, hard-living kind of showgirl who loved the attention. But I felt that she was actually more like either Billie Holiday or Sandy Denny, whose lives she mirrored to a really chilling degree. You know, they were both incredibly gifted technicians, and they were so talented that they appeared to have no other option than to sing. Uh, they Neither of them had any real thirst for the limelight and no way of dealing with it when it came. Uh, both had all those terrible weight problems. Both had a huge appetite for drugs, just as a way of escape, really. And they both fell, didn't they, for men that they thought would protect them and actually made their lives yeah. significantly worse. And they both died in terrible states. I mean, Billy, you know, succumbed to a heart failure from cirrhosis of the liver while handcuffed to a hospital bed while the drug squad searched her room. I mean, that's unbelievably true. And Sandy Danny, of course, fell downstairs and, and uh, died of a head injury, didn't she, after being... Uh, full of intoxicants mm. uh, a few days after forgetting that she had a, that she'd left her baby in the pub so i mean they're just they're terrible stories those people were just simply not designed for that level of um celebrity really and attention don't you think no yeah it's um you know people people who, who make it and stay alive you know they they, they they're very tough they're very self-disciplined yeah. underneath it all you know they are yeah, they they have I, I often think it's amazing. Uh, the most amazing thing about Keith Richard, he's still here. I know. He's still here. <laughs> so underneath all of that, there is something in Keith Richards that clings to life. You know what I mean? Absolutely. The, the, that's his, that's his, has been his great saving grace throughout the years. Yeah. You know, that something has just stopped him going too far. 
There's other but people. Billy Holiday and Sandy Denny, Kurt Cobain, Jim Morrison. I don't find when I listen to their music, I don't find it conjures up images of the of the uh, of the kind of collapse of their lives. But I still do with her. I don't know why. I suppose because that story went on for so long and it was so public, wasn't it? Yeah. But I'm hoping I'll get to the stage where I can just listen to her music and not and 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 see that as something separate because yeah. those records are phenomenal. I think. I mean, she really was a, a absolutely extraordinary singer, like nothing else. This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. Monday, 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 Monday. Cracky, there's loads of Mondays. <laughs> it's just so funny. Uh, when we were talking to Alex, we've joined, been joined by Alex Gold, who is our Kevin Turvey correspondent, aren't you? Because Kevin Turvey's stumping ground was Redditch, wasn't it? Redditch. I think it was, wasn't it? You're not that far from Redditch. How, how do they talk in Redditch, Alex? Like Kevin Turvey. Actually, <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. So, you were last night, you were being a member of what Humble Pie or some all small faces, Alex? I was a member of the small faces, but we were joined to play a Humble Pie number by a member of Humble Pie. Very good, very good. And which and one? You, Go on, which one was Dave? Uh, was Dave Colwell? Dave Colwell is also known as Bucket, That's Bucket. Bucket. yeah. Uh, but he won't Bucket. tell anybody. He That's very humble pie. Is. <laughs> so, Alex, I know it won't be long before you're going uh, back on the ocean wave to be John Lennon. Yeah. But you were you were saying the other the two things the other day. You were saying you had to turn down a gig as John Lennon. And uh, no, you had to turn down a gig as Pete Best because you were playing John Lennon on the same night. Is that right? No. Well, I had to turn down a gig as Pete Best because I'm, I'm away for. A couple of okay. months. But the thing was, uh, so my, 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 my acting agent called me and, and asked if I wanted to do the gig. And I said, no, I can't do it because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm out playing John Lennon. And they, they actually said, are you sure you don't want to play Pete Best? And I just, no, I'm playing John Lennon. What part of that don't you understand? So you're, you're just saying that the, you had a call from your the Stones band that you occasionally... Oh yeah, uh, Depp with Keith Richards. I'm being Keith Richards for a night next weekend. <laughs> oh, good. It's wonderful. So you're Ian McLagan, John Lennon, um, Keith Richards. Yeah, can't do. Would do Pete Best would if you Pete. could. And when you do Humble Pie, who are you in Humble Pie? Technically, the Framp. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. Okay. Orderly cue, ladies. <laughs> me. That's fantastic. Now tell me. Tell me. You what, sorry? You remember the clash too, weren't you? I was. I was. I was. He was topper, were you? Topper. Yeah. Yeah. He was top. Now tell me, when you're in a cover, when you're in a kind of tribute band, Alex. Here's a question for you. Does the kind of Paul McCartney of the group always get more girls than the rest of the group? Or, you know, does it transfer to even to? Do you see what I mean? Well, you know, if you're Peter Frampton in Humble Pie, do you do better? Do you do better than better Greg Ridley? Than yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you, you see, the thing about being in uh, Small Faces and Beatles tribute groups is most of the ladies who come to see us are over sixty, so <laughs> right. nobody really gets. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They might be, you know, they're up for a night out, you know. It's uh, 
Anyway, uh, I uh, what was I going to do? I, I, sorry, I'm just uh, I'm flicking through my phone trying to find these. Uh, I, I asked people if they got any got any questions to put to us uh, because we were doing the podcast. And lo and behold, there were, there were many. Sorry, just uh, just talk amongst yourself. While I was going to say, Magic, this. that it seems that they're all over 60. So those are original Small Faces fans, aren't they? Oh, actually, you know what? We had Sandy Sargent in the audience last night from Ready, Steady, Go. Matt, Ian McLaggen's... Um, oh, really? So, oh, really? Well, her uh, old, old flame or what? Yeah, so... Sandy's well, real 60s glamour girl, wasn't she? Yeah. Real, real 60s... Uh, Dolly Bird, I'm sure she'd forgive me for, uh, but you know that's what she would have been referred to in the day back in the day. That's fantastic. So yes, questions. Uh, David Burgess says, "Vinyl, I'm sorry, I've got to do this. Vinyl was dead and is now incredibly popular. Tapes were dead. Now every album's now coming out on tape. Do you think in 20 years or so, uh, CD will come back again as a retro outfit item? I just, I just." I just want to make this point about the vinyl comeback and the and the tape comeback. It's all relative. Nobody's ever comparing apples with apples when they do this kind of comparison. These are tiny comebacks compared to what they were back in the day. And whenever they do a comparison, they say, more, more money was spent on records last year than many years in so-so. That's because they all cost £25. <laughs> it's not because of the numbers of That's them a, at all. You know, true. It's as simple as that. And do I do it? You know, do we think? I don't think CD will come back as a retro item, but I think it might it, it might become popular again because it's just a it's a it's a music carrier that you can afford and doesn't break. You know, and you don't have to break the bank to buy it. You know, whether it'll it'll never go back to it to, to the level it was at back in the early nineties or something like that. But I think it, I think it'll still be there. Um, Old Mancunian wants to know eagerly awaited album that turned out to be a dud. Come on, Alex. I feel like the name. I feel like Oasis are just forcing their way into the conversation well, here, aren't they? Oasis, or possibly uh, the Stone Roses. Yeah. Oh no, the Stone Roses second one. That was there was some good tracks on that. They, could, they, they, they had Tears on it, which is a great track. Breaking into uh, Heaven as well. Awesome. Ten yeah. Story. They could really play, but no, be here now. Be here now. Be um, here now. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go further. I'm going to go further. I say most. Eagerly awaited albums turn out to be duds. Yeah, no, no because they're follow-ups. You know, that's also, why they're eagerly awaited. Isn't yeah, it? But also, you, you build up an eagerly awaited album so much it can never, ever, ever possibly never, never do it. Never do it. An album as well. You know, um, we all thought that was going to be the greatest thing to enter anybody's ears ever, but of course, it, it wasn't. It just wasn't. And uh, yeah. It's the hype that kills it, I think. If it wasn't the it hype... It is. Oh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood's second album. Surely terrible. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Liverpool. Oh, oh my God. Liverpool. Because it didn't... had the three singles on it, and it was just superb. Yeah. And the second one had no hits on it at all. Is that right? will to live. Come yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Noel Gillen says, Marley aside, best reggae album ever released. And I, I've actually, I did a bit of preparation here uh, while we we're just between recording, and I've got the answer to this question. Best oh. reggae album ever released. I got it in my left hand. Okay, what is it, Mark? 
It's going to be a what burning it? fear record. Thank you. That's hey. absolutely <laughs> correct. There you go. It's the well, first. Uh, it's the it first is. album by Burning Spear, which I actually play. I play more than I play by any Bob Marley record. Uh, it's an absolutely brilliant record. To this day, highly recommend. Made two incredibly good records too. Yes, yeah. Not, it's not the kind of heavy dub reggae stuff that it's. Uh, it's more kind of more fashionable. But my God, Handsworth Revolution's brilliant. I tell you, what's also a good talking of British reggae um, acts. Aswad live and direct. Which was it made at Notting Hill Carnival? Was that where it was recorded? Might have been. That it's fantastic been record. Yeah, yeah. It's a really good record. Uh, so Brian Cannon Hunter wanted to know if you watched Dylan's Shadow Kingdom or what did you think of it? Well, we covered that. We did. We did, and we loved it. We're That's earlier. And uh, um, there's a great bit in it, I have to say, where Dylan is playing. Uh, uh, he, he's doing. I, I can't remember what it was. I think it's not for you or whatever it was. And uh, he has either side of these two gorgeous girls just staring at the camera, and one of them picks a hair off his shoulder in a kind of proprietorial way. It's the most fantastic piece of stagecraft. Absolutely brilliant. I remember I remember our old colleague, our old Smash Hits colleague, Bev Hillier, yeah. pointing this out to me years ago. Oh, right. <laughs> Bev, always wise beyond her years. I think she was only about 22 when she told me this. She said, if you see a woman... If you see a woman remove a hair from a man's jacket or shoulder or whatever, that is that, that is a signal, this is mine. This is mine. I own this piece this of This is mine. Yeah, hands off. <laughs> and I thought it was such a clever... Actually, it was I'll be your baby tonight. I remember that. But I thought it was such a clever thing to do. With these two girls, and they're both staring knowingly into the camera as if to say, I- I'm, I'm, you know, Bob Dylan is mine. <laughs> Just watch for that cocktail parties, Alex, you know. When it, when some when some bloke thinks he's amusing some woman who's not his wife, his wife will slowly enter the circle, and then she'll pick her moment to just yeah. go. She'll straighten his tie. <laughs> no, brush down his jacket. Yeah, oh, that was brilliant. David Cheshire says, "Laughing in songs, best and worst examples." And BSB James IB says, "Not sure about best and worst." But Anarchy in the UK and Big Yellow Taxi come to mind. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is really, fair Big point. Yellow Taxi sounds a bit forced, I think. Yes. In Helter Skelter, I think there's a great one in Helter Skelter. I tell you what, the, I tell you what, the one that I used to, I used to stop the record and go back and play regularly is, is it Bob Dylan's 115th Dream? Yes. Where... What album's that on? I can't remember. Fourth album or something like that. Another side, is it? I can't remember. And he, and he, he begins with, with an acoustic guitar and, um, and he starts singing, I was, I, was, I was riding on the Mayflower and I thought I spied, spied some land. And then the band don't come in. The band is supposed to come in. They don't come in. And so everybody clearly... With herbal, oh, wow. herbal, you know, uh, help. Yes. They just laugh and laugh and laugh. And I remember thinking at the time, that is the grooviest thing I've ever heard. They're laughing and they left it on a record. You know, how... how at least they only leave it on a record for about 30 seconds and don't overcook it. There's a Roy Harper album. Uh, this is going to be stressful, Dave, I know. I think it's on <laughs> Flat Baroque and Berserk, where he plays a version of I Hate the White Man and he goes into this kind of stoned giggle beforehand. 
uh, I think recorded live on stage, and it just goes on and on and on to the point where the first time we hear it, it's quite charming enough that it's unbelievably irritating. <laughs> can I can I put forward Thriller? I believe there's a spooky on, that? On, on on the air. I believe the narrator oh. laughs ghoulishly. Oh, 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 oh yeah, that's... oh yeah, yeah, he does. Cackle. It's good laugh. Oh, it's it's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, if anybody can think of any more, uh, get in touch. Uh, what else have we got to? Um, people are asking when the next word in your park is likely to be. Um, well, not this year, I think it's fair to say. God, we were lucky with the weather, weren't we? We were so lucky with the weather. That yesterday, but, when it started raining on Saturday afternoon, I was thinking, God, there we were a week ago in this roasting heat. I yeah. But at least, had it rained last week, the, the previous week, you know. It wouldn't have mattered. There were people were sheltered. Uh, you no, but you know, see, uh, I, I did go onto weather.com and book it very early. So uh Well, there you go. You've yeah, got to get in. You've got to get in. extra, and it was worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, thank you very much to everybody who came because, you know, in an occasion like that, the people who come and the attitude they have are a huge part of the of the success of the, uh, of the whole thing. And I have to say, actually, the Opera Holland Park staff kept reporting to James, who runs it, how nice everybody was. Yeah. In fact, the expression used was... Such a lovely uh, audience, we'd like uh, to take you home. With <laughs> with us. We'd like to take you home. I know. They so were cool. so nice. So that's very, it's very good to, to be able to report that. Um, so what else have we done uh, that's coming up soon? We've recorded, uh, where are you at it, Robin Inns? Yep. What else have we done? We, we've remember. got the Danny Baker one to put out from from uh, Word in the Park. We've got the Mark Lewis one, both fantastic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, that, so that's all coming up. And, uh, you know, and if you happen to be looking at this on YouTube or whatever and you haven't done it already, please make sure you subscribe to this channel. And if you listen to this on Apple Podcasts or anywhere, normal podcast providers, Please go and leave uh, a comment or a review on Apple Podcasts because that stuff really makes a difference in terms of you oh. moving up ranking and so forth. So, you know, that uh, that would be hugely appreciated. And uh, anything to add, Alex? Nothing further? No, we, we have some patrons. Some, some oh, good. Go on. Go on. Good, good, so, good. It must be piped to board. Indeed. Um, John Farmer. Piped. Sarah Leclerc. Oh, very. Oh. A bit of sophistication in the place that will raise the tone. <laughs> Gavin Rogers. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you for joining us. Ed Newman and Stephen Cadman, who are both Access All Areas tier patrons, will get the birthday. All right. Thanks for them. That's terrific. Uh, Meaning we'll have a birthday recording with them at some stage, I assume. Absolutely. Hey, okay. it's my birthday this week. Do I get a birthday recording? Do I get Mark Allen getting in touch with me and asking me about the first record I've ever bought? About the record player your parents had. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> it is your birthday, of course. <coughs> I think. Also, uh, Eugene Beer and David Stark, who are both... Eugene Beer! I know Eugene, Eugene Beer. Beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's nice to hear Beer from you. Beer Davis PR back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. Lovely Good. Day. Well... Welcome to all of you, and you know if you want to join them, go to Patreon.com/slash Word in Your Ear for details. We've just got to go. Uh, we've got we've got to go out and spread more human happiness today, because that's our role. This podcast was brought to you by the Word.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.